Welcome to the New England Take in WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM Concord, 101.9 FM Manchester, and nhtalkradio.com. I'm your host, AJ Kierstead. Be sure to check out nhtalkradio.com to get all the back episodes of the show and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Been posting videos of the different episodes we've been doing with our interviews and uh, podcast versions and everything like that. I'm very excited this week to have Laura Kanoy join me on the show. She's been the, she was she was the longtime host of the Exchange and New Hampshire Public Radio. Uh, for me, it's someone that's like this is like the cornerstone of radio in the state. Is what was going on with the Exchange with having conversations with various people, all sides of debates that were going to be going on with regards to different political conversations. What's going on with culture? It's going on in the state of New Hampshire in general, and. She's been, she has not stopped. She, quote, retired, but she didn't really retire. She's still doing all sorts of other things. So as the show goes on, we'll be discussing all those uh, current projects she's in, including writing and moderating some very interesting community conversations. But welcome to the show, Laura. I'm so happy to be with you, AJ. I'm a fan of your work. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's, it's, it was a little, uh, as someone who works in radio and working with you through the events that we have at the law school was intimidating at first. I'm going to be totally honest. Like, Really? Um, oh, it was. It was. You, you don't understand the, the stature <laughs> no, that I you don't. have when it comes to radio in the state. When, when we did our restructuring here at KXL, we were like, the exchange is gone. What does that mean for the for radio in the state? Because everyone would go to go to the exchange when there was something going on, like John Graby over at the law school. Every time something was going on, the Supreme Court, his, his butt would be down there first thing in the morning. If uh, all the various political candidates would come through, you'd be speaking to everyone. I, I mean, it's the exchange was very important to the landscape of radio in the state. Oh well, thank you. I mean, how did you end up getting into this role as running, as hosting the exchange? It's before you were over at NPR, correct? Right, right. So um, it's kind of like my Spider-Man origin story, yes. right? <laughs> um, so I was working in um, print journalism. I was um, a researcher at USA Today. And um, uh, this one week, AJ, it's just kind of I had this big aha moment. Um, my boss heard me talking on the phone to somebody and she said after I got off the call, she said, you know, you have a really nice voice. And I thought, oh, that's a nice compliment. And then I called a friend of mine at home. And this is back in the day before everybody had cell phones. So you just had a house phone and her mother answered. And I talked to her mother for a while. Same week, maybe even the same day, she said, you have a really nice voice. It's nice to hear you talk. And honestly, I was walking to work the next day. And I still remember I looked down at the sidewalk for some reason. I just went, oh, I should, I shouldn't do print. I should do radio. <laughs> so I, the short version is I moved to California to be with my college boyfriend. And while I was there, I got an internship at a little teeny radio station where they would teach you everything you needed to know about radio. And in exchange, once you were done with the internship, um, you know, you'd work there one day a week for free. So that was great. So I ended up working there two days a week for free. Um, and um, I'll never forget the first night that I got on the air because I was new, you know, they let me do the weekend newscast. So I got on and I can't remember the call letters, but, I got on and I was like, this is, you know, let's just say KLPU. It's Saturday night. 
Sunday night, Saturday night. Because <laughs> I was so nervous. <laughs> so anyway, that was my big debut, but clearly it didn't hurt me too much because I went on to, I moved back to D.C., um, the boyfriend thing didn't work out, but the radio thing sure did work out. And I moved back to Washington and I had a lot of support and contacts and friends there and started getting into radio there and um, moved back to my home state of New Hampshire in 1995 to start the exchange. That's the short version. Was that short enough? That was plenty short enough. Wow, that's, it, it's it nowadays for me, because everyone has access to new media and everything to have that little edge like. Oh, I can speak well. Like, wh- how, what can I do with this? Right. It, it's it, it's why not it makes total sense. I mean, that's the reason why I started. It's like, um, it's like I had fun in college radio, and then played around doing a music show, and then I'm like, oh, I like talking on the radio. People say I got a decent voice for it. Why not? You no, know, let's talk about the news for a ten minute segment or something. Just, just 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 talk back and forth with a random co-host that really didn't know anything about the news, so I'd, I'd make fun of them for not knowing what I was talking about. And move on, <laughs> call it a day. It's college radio, and to have that niche is is helpful, especially with that print background. Really, must have been helpful for keeping up with what you needed to be discussing on the show. Right, right, right. Yeah, I had the print background. I have a degree in international affairs, so oh. you know people often say, "Oh, do I need a journalism degree?" and Listen, I don't know now, okay, but I don't have a journalism degree. My degree in international affairs was history, political science, geography, foreign languages, economics. Actually, I have a minor in economics. So I feel like that degree served me fabulously to be a talk show host because I know a little bit about kind of everything. Yes. So, so important. Like the amount of like lawyers that have been through that, that now are radio hosts or have that background or former doctors that are able to talk about the healthcare industry is tremendously important. It's, there's a value to it. Like I got, I have my minor mass communications. I, I, I think it was very helpful, but the, the hands-on experience was so much more important, mm-hmm. like, like getting out into the field. Like I like I went out to the Republican National Convention in 2008 as a student journalist and stuff, which was bananas as uh, a music <laughs> major. And I'm like, why am I here? Oh, no. I got I to gotta, like, <laughs> learn how to do stuff quickly. Um, but, yeah, to, be, to really like have that background in what's going on in the world must have translated really well to kind of chat about basically anything as definitely yeah and i was a newscaster at npr before i moved back to new hampshire so having that degree really helped for sure yeah so so did the basis for what the exchange ended up becoming always exist like was it always this kind of community conversation sort of sub um format or did it kind of become that over time? Um, That's a really good question. Yeah, that was the original goal was to create, you know, meaningful, civil, in-depth, statewide conversations to kind of pull the state together as a state. Um, Somebody, one of our early supporters, um, when the station was first thinking about starting this project, said, you know, this show is really badly needed because New Hampshire, in one sense, is kind of you know, seven or eight little fiefdoms, you know, you got the Seacoast folks and the Nashua folks and, you know, the Upper Valley folks and the North Country folks and et cetera, et cetera. But the exchange kind of pulled people together and said, hey, you know, we're all one state. We all have these issues. Or if there's an issue in the White Mountains, you know, you living in the southern tier, you know, we're going to explain it to you and why you should care, too. So the goal always was to create sort of statewide, in-depth 
civil conversations about the issues that matter to New Hampshire. But I'll tell you a funny story, um, AJ. You know, when I first, you know, started talking to people about the show, um, people said, this is Cow Hampshire. You're not going to find anything to talk about five days a week, you know? <laughs> and I said, oh, yeah, really? I mean, we had too many topics. We were frustrated that we couldn't cover more topics. And sometimes actually we would break up the show into like a two topic show um, because there was just so much to talk about. So um, we uh, I always thought that was really funny. I thought, mm, no, there's, there's a lot there. And boy, there was a lot there. Um, there definitely is. So, There's so much to cover in the state. I mean, I so much. I like my like we have Beyond Politics here on the station, which gets in the national lens and such, and they get some New Hampshire people in there to talk about all sorts of stuff. But there's so much to cover right here. Like I, like I'm, like you were a little like, oh god, we're, I'm just going to talk for 45 minutes, just the two of us for the, for the for this episode. But there's a lot to dive into when it comes to to this, and whether it's we're talking about media in the state or whether it's education has been a constant theme, whether it's um, whether what's going on in the national spotlight really matters or not to the state and what sort of impacts what's going on in Texas with some new law that's gone that's made it through and whether it's going to filter to here and what would happen if aspects to if it did filter here. Right. Right. Lots going on. When did you feel like it clicked that this format is is working? Oh, gosh. Right away. And I was familiar with the format. Yeah, I was familiar with the format because um, I had sub hosted a couple of the shows on WAMU Washington, which is the public radio station there in D.C. So I was really familiar and comfortable with the format. And some of your listeners might remember the Diane Reem show, um, which was on the air on WAMU for a long time. And um, uh, so that was her format. And I was really familiar with that. There was an evening show that was a lot like the Diane Reem show. I subbed that show, um, you know, I don't know, half a dozen times. I can't remember. And then when I moved to New Hampshire and kind of got my chops, you know, got more experience, Diane asked me to come back and sub for her um, several times, which was awesome. So yeah, the format always kind of clicked. Definitely. I mean, there were days, you know, there were days when like, like oh, no one man, called. It quick. So, <laughs> um, and there were days when, you know, people talked too long. And I mean, I'm not saying it was perfect every day. I mean, I kind of think, AJ, that like hosting a daily talk show is really a good metaphor for life, right? Like you just have to do your best every day. And sometimes your best isn't great because you're tired. You were up with a sick, I mean, I have two children. You were up with a sick baby all night long. Okay, you know, so, but but then you just try, you just get up and you say, okay, that wasn't perfect. And you just try the next day. It's the and blessing and curse of radio. It is. every day you start over again. Yeah, but it's kind of, I, I see it as a blessing. I really do because you can't think about your mess up yesterday. You can't, you got to move on, you're live. It's time to go. It's five minutes to nine. You can't obsess about what you did yesterday. And I do think that's a nice metaphor for life. Like at some point, all right, I messed up and I'm just moving on. You know what I mean? Um, I think it's really good training. In fact, doing live radio every day is really good training for a lot of things. Like you just you just get it done, man. Like you want mm-hmm. something done. Ask a talk show host to do it. You know, exactly. <laughs> the one thing that it doesn't train you well for is patience. 
Mm -hmm. Um, over the years I've become less patient because I'm like, all right, let's go. (laughs) You know, keep it moving. (laughs) Keep it moving. Um, so, but it's really good training for a lot of other stuff, including just like it's not perfect every day. So just let it go, move on, learn, and you know, open up the mic skin tomorrow. It didn't click with me till a few minutes ago that you started the show when cable blew up. When cable news went on, went mainstream, mm-hmm. went everywhere, the the five minute news segment became the max. <laughs> if yep. you're lucky, you had a full five minute segment on whoever was uh, doing the the evening news segment that day. Sixty minutes and everything getting shorter with regards to what they were going to be covering. And did you? It, it must have felt like a breath, breath of fresh air to for the audience to be able to actually listen to something for more than just a few minutes. Like I feel like we're, we we've we've horseshoed around again with the the importance of the the NPR podcasts that are for the most part longer format. They're twenty to sixty minutes long each. The Joe Rogan Experience, obviously, the WTF podcast, and Mark Maron, and everything. It's all these longer format conversations. The exchange did it since 95. It's kind of vindicating, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) I'm ahead of the curve. You were. (laughs) No, it's true. And, you know, you notice that a couple of things. You make such a good point. I mean, a couple of things. People take a while to unfold, you know? And so the downside is people are nervous, you know, and so they... Their first couple answers may be a little stilted and um, not that interesting. I mean, some people are, you know, obviously used to giving interviews and stuff. So, but those people's stories are valuable too. And so once you sit with them for 10, 15 minutes, it starts to blossom and it starts to get really interesting. And so um, that's important. And I know people don't often have the patience for that, but um you really do, people start to unfold and that's cool. Um, The other thing is then you have the callers, which, you know, (laughs) which we noticed early on, there was one subset of callers that the minute we announced the topic, they would, they would start, you know, they would start uh, calling in. Like, I know something about this topic and they would call in and that's cool. But then there was another subset of callers that would call in like 25, 30 minutes in because they were listening and they were thinking and they were reacting. And so um, that's another sort of dynamic that if you only have a 20 minute show, you're only going to get those very opinionated people who are calling you right at the top. But if you wait 30, 40 minutes, you're going to get some other people who are like, ah, I never thought about that. You know what I'm saying? So um, that also takes time. Yeah. That was something that was hard for me at first to figure out was the, the, it's not to to warm the person up to being on the air to really go deeper into what they're talking about. It's I I moved to, I I'm very fast paced. I'm used I've, I've come from doing videos for the internet and such where it's like okay I got thirty seconds and I got to sell this thing <laughs> and I got to get it out there. And we can get into the subject matter in a minute, but right now I got to sell this and get it quick. And it was really hard for me to figure out. It's like slow down. It's like okay who is this person that's on the on the air like don't don't just have them go like what are you here to talk about it's like 
oh, what is it you do? Like, you you work for this organization. It's like, what what's the organization like? Like, where did where did this company come from? And um, or how did you become interested in whatever the subject matter is? Like, I've been trying to cover education a fair bit, so the education freedom counts. I didn't know anything about. So I'm like, eh, I'll just get a couple people in the chat about it and see what it is. Right. And it opened up so many doors like oh there's many aspects to this program and right. last week i was talking about the pre-apprenticeship program in healthcare that dartmouth and the dartmouth um, health and the community college system of new hampshire is putting together there's a ton to it. i could have done two hours on that that's right there's so much there's so much and um one of the disadvantages of live radio though is uh you know, it does take some people some time to warm up and, and you know, get comfortable. So if you're doing a pre-recorded podcast, then you can just cut out the sort of I'm uncomfortable and you can just go straight to where the person is really giving you some amazing content um, with live radio. You know, you got to sit with it for a while <laughs> and that's OK. That's OK. Like politicians, for example, you know, we didn't like to do opening statements yeah. like they're just canned. They're boring. But after a while, we discovered no matter what you ask, you know, what is the price of tea in China? Politician A, they're still going to give you their opening statement. Right. So, so after a while, we were like, all right, whatever opening statements, you know. So um, we went back and forth on that. We kept changing our policy. But sometimes no matter what you ask a politician, they've got their statement and they're going to say it no matter what you ask. In fact, sometimes I would tease the staff. I'd be like, I'm going to ask them what their favorite color is. <laughs> just anything is it you because i'll really still get sucks. the opening statement <laughs> and the audience is gonna go like oh this this politician is just gonna give political lines yeah. all the time that's really like that's been hard for me to figure out it's like do i really want to have politicians come on if yeah, they're not it's hard. talking about if there isn't a policy like i yeah. if they're gonna come in and talk about a specific policy then oh interesting yeah it's like i had keith amon uh who's a state representative talk about crypto because it has big implications in the state. There's all sorts of ways that we can talk about crypto that aren't necessarily just um, legislation or politics. And it's also not a traditional po political line where he's going to be in hot water talking about it with the state party or anything like that. Um, it's it, Finding that angle is very important. Right, right. What about from the uh, – what about the callers – really had you did you have no choice but to do the callers or what did you learn to really enjoy that aspect of the show oh the callers were great they were the best yeah they were the best um and a couple thoughts um you know sometimes you would have a politician on and they wouldn't answer the question they wouldn't answer the question they wouldn't answer the question i'm not going to name names <laughs> But a couple of our governors, uh, <laughs> you can ask it, you can ask it, you can ask it. And then eventually, as the host, you have to move on. You know, you got to move on because there's a lot to cover. But then the callers would call in and they would say, I don't think you're answering Laura's question. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I love you. You know, so that was great. People, a lot of people called in with their personal stories um, that was so moving. You know, we did a ton of shows about the opioid crisis. Um, and we heard from so many people who had had their own addictions or often AJ parents of um, young adults who were struggling with addiction. We did a lot of shows, sadly, on suicide as the suicide rate continues to climb in our country, not just in our state. And we heard from, you know, people who had lost loved ones to suicide and they called and they shared. And that was so meaningful to me that they felt 
I was honored that they shared something so deep with me. So um, that was that was an honor. I, I really mean that. Um, and then there's fun callers, you know, um, when the Red Sox first won the World Series back in ooh, 2004. Oh, I can't Something remember. Like that. Not a sports guy. Something like that. Yeah. No, me neither. Me neither. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we had to do a show because it was the first time in who knows how long, a century oh, yeah. or something like that. And people called and they were so funny. And um, this one guy wrote a song about um, the Red Sox um, winning. And I said, well, do you want to sing a little bit of it for us? And he said, sure. So he sang a verse or two. And I said, well, thank you. You know, Bob or whatever his name was like, that's great. And he's like, oh, no, there's a lot more. Yeah. So um, the callers were great. I loved it when people called in with different opinions, different ideas. Um, callers, you know, 95 percent of the time they were fantastic. Um, and then, you know, you always have cranky people or um, people who, you know, once in a while people would say, I don't think that they would criticize me and I don't think you're being fair. You know, um, that's fine. One thing I noticed, though, AJ, um, so we started by taking we started the show in 1995. We took calls. Then um, I don't know when five years later, four years later, we started taking emails as well. Hmm. This shows you how long ago the show started. We weren't even taking emails back then. <laughs> Um, then we started taking emails and the producer said, you know, people are a lot nastier on email than they are on the phone. They say stuff on email they would never say in a phone call. And then we started taking Facebook and Twitter. No and that way. made the emails look like, you know, a tea party at Buckingham Palace. I yeah, mean, definitely. I, I mean, that had to, you know, if, if as someone who your job is to kind of get a read for what's going on in the state and what the attitude is towards various subjects. I mean, that must have been a, a real bit of confusion to figure out, like, how how and why do I use this information, especially Twitter right. post um, 2000, was it 2008 or so with, with Obama since then is really when Twitter blew up. Yep. Yep. And it, it's a precursor to what we're seeing now oh, where yeah. people are like, Wow. <laughs> enough with savaging other people on social media, enough with the lies and the misinformation and the disinformation. You know, it's one thing to be misinformed. It's another thing to to disinform other people. You know, I'm going to lie to you in the hopes that you will go out and do something terrible, you know. So um, I think that little story I just told you about the difference between phone call and email was a precursor to what we're seeing now. Um with, you know, the real challenges of um, social media and how it allows us to treat each other horribly. How do you how did you deal with that? Like we're going to be we're going to be entering a whole other generation of the digital platforms here. So we right. move into Twitter's being bought up and odds are the culture is going to be changing there to some in some way. Like I don't think it's going to be positive at first hopefully in the long term having a more open platform is useful for the world but that's a big old we'll see i mean as someone who's experienced these two very important technological shifts over your career mm -hmm. what what advice do you have for people like me in the media or people who take in the media oh gosh i don't know if i want to give anybody advice but what I will say, because everybody makes their own choices, but what I will say is, um, you know, traditional media, which supposedly is people criticize it now, but traditional media has 
an editor and sort of a filter. And it's a trusted filter. And I was the trusted filter. So a journalist, you know, looks at the information with his or her training and sensibility understands what is important and what is just, you know, mean and stupid and horrible. And so I was kind of the on-air editor slash filter to what is vital to this conversation and what is just mean and stupid and horrible. And people trusted me to be their filter. And I know that has a, a bad connotation now. People are like, why should we have these gatekeepers? Well, <laughs> I, I think, uh, you know, sometimes gay people are good. People vastly <laughs> you know? underestimate that like is in I think the more interesting conversation than just crapping on anyone that wants to be right. a media figurehead is what's their take on it and how do you keep in mind their background and their interpretation of what's important is mm -hmm. really the way to look at it. Like I take in media that's um, I, I'm a center right guy. I lean pretty libertarian so i definitely have my own filter when it comes to what i'm going to be covering giving opinions on and but i make it very clear like i put it out there like the daily wire catches a lot of crap sometimes very well earned when it comes to their news coverage especially but they're a commentary platform for the most part and they put out there like when you go here this is a conservative outlet you're going to be getting the news from this side I wish Vox and the Daily Beast and all these other more left-leaning outlets had been as honest on the onset. One of the things that um, I mean when I say filter, too, is I'm not filtering out opinions. Right. I'm filtering out, again, mean, stupid, horrible. Right. Um, and I'm sure sometimes people wrote in with comments that they thought were really, really important. And I thought, no, this is, you know unkind and not worth it. So that's what I mean by filter. But I loved it when people wrote in with, you know, different opinions and I don't see it that way. I mean, now we're getting a dialogue going and, and that's that's cool. The dialogue's so important. It, it's it so is. important. I yeah. had Matt I get Matt Robeson on every few months and we, we try not just to crap on the mainstream media for 45 minutes for fun, but it, it sometimes devolves into that. But he's a center-left guy. He's very established. He's got his own opinion. So we, we talk about the news. He, he's, he's a writer. He's written all sorts of commentary pieces and different things. But that back and forth is, I wish more outlets took advantage of. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Back and forth between people who see things differently, but they're kind of sharing ideas. I mean, that's why I named the show the exchange because i know it's not the most exciting name but that was really described it to a t right it was an exchange of ideas that's it we're gonna take a quick break you're listening to new england taking wkxl i'm your host aj kirstead joined here by laura canoy former radio host current very busy person we'll be getting into that next in the next segment you're listening to wkxl we'll be right back after this Welcome back to the New England Take and WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM, Concord, 101.9 FM, Manchester, and nhtalkradio.com. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead. Continuing my conversation here with Laura Canoy, longtime host of The Exchange, which is a uh, longtime show right here, uh, not right here, that's very wrong, on New Hampshire Public Radio, <laughs> not here on WKXL. Uh, we've been having a great conversation on The Exchange and having dialogues on, on uh, whatever's happening in the world and how important it is to have that. Um, it, it's 
let's continue that a little bit. I mean, what was it hard to get those dialogues going at first? Or eventually people just knew like what the exchange was. And when you go there, you'd be having conversation around, around it. And it wasn't going to be just this one side, uh, which a thing that conservative radio, especially across the country, is very famous for and is, is what it is with many outlets on that. Uh, was that welcomed in the state? Definitely. Yeah, it was easy to get those dialogues going. Um, I think people were kind of hungry for it. And when I first started the show, I felt like the New Hampshire political landscape was very different. I mean, we're talking 1995. So I do feel like it's cliche, but I do feel like people could disagree without being disagreeable. So it was great getting those dialogues going. And some of the most special moments were like after we get off the air, you know, people who were completely on opposite sides of an issue would start talking about, you know, another bill that they were working on the, that they were both together on. You know what I mean? They where they agreed or or they knew each other's kids or, you know, they were sorry about something happening in their family. You know, as time went on, AJ, I did see less of that. Um, but in the first like 15, even yeah, 15, 20 years those dialogues were um, easy to pull together and people were generally really lovely to each other. I did see that start to break down in the last, I don't know, six, seven years, um, including some people even saying, I won't come on with that person, which Mm. wouldn't happen in the nineties. So yeah, definitely a shift in the political culture and and for the worse, for sure. How much of that do you think is the, the partisan nature and the Paul, like the, the parties related versus um, just just general internet culture kind of. Yeah, no, I think it I, I think it happened even before internet culture. I remember in the mid two thousands, I felt like you know the, like you said the parties started, the parties in Washington started sort of keeping their members of Congress on the straight and narrow, like on you are on this path for our party, and I remember I think it was two thousand four. Honestly, AJ, I felt like I remember saying to one of my producers, "Okay, today I'm talking to a Republican robot. Tomorrow I'm talking to a Democratic robot, you know, and I felt like in the 90s, people took all sorts of positions. You know, yeah, you're a Republican congressman and you might support 70 percent of the platform. But, you know, because you're from New Hampshire, you might be more in favor of this and this. And you know what I mean? I feel like people were more politicians were more genuine in terms of being true to themselves and also really being connected with their constituents. Now, I just feel like it's really they're just following the party line. And I understand that they always have done that, but I really saw a shift in the mid-ish 2000s. And like I said, Democratic robots, Republican robots. um, And I thought, oh, could you just you know, like your mother said, be yourself. <laughs> yep, exactly. It, and it, it pushes the Overton window much further, depending on both sides, yeah. whether it's the right or the left. And they end up going, becoming more and more partisan. That probably and that leads us to where we are with the the right having the Trump movement coming through with right wing populism and on the left with the progressive movement that is just so hardline on everything that and then they go on either side say that person's a fascist and that person's a communist. I love making communist jokes. Communist jokes are funny. I'm sorry. But y- y- it's not productive. That's not what you put in there if you're trying to have a discussion to figure out what right. to do for the future of the country. Well, right. And we have a lot of problems to solve. I mean, right. that's the thing that's upsetting is we have a lot of problems. I mean, 
we don't want to talk about COVID because I'm so sick of talking about COVID because that's all I did for the past year and a half or two years before I left. Um, but, you know, we've still got opioids, um, you know, devastating people. We have a suicide rate that is just awful, especially our young people. You know, we've got homeless people, you know, who need help, need support, need mental health. You know, um, you know, we've got we've got climate issues. We've got water quality issues. You know, uh, let's just work on that. I know that sounds like really Girl Scouty and old fashioned, but I just feel like people aren't as committed to working on the problems now as they are about, you know, just sort of banging the table and calling people names. It's more and fun just, to, it's just frustrating. It's it, frustrating. It's more fun to uh, to talk S on the internet than it is to actually yeah. have a productive discussion to figure out what to what to do with it. It's Yeah. Um it, as someone who is a 35-year-old millennial that has a media job and whether it's what I do here or whether it's corporate with my full-time job or I'm selling something essentially I'm selling a university <laughs> the, it, it's it, it's really hard to find that balance of getting attention and having a productive conversation because the the crazy comments are what gets gets attention that's getting, right putting the jokes that's out right. there wendy's and their crazy twitter account a few years back like things like that like that's what got the attention not selling the hamburgers yeah yeah so that's about, that's about what I really wanted to cover in the exchange. I want to leave enough time with what you're up to now because you've been doing some really interesting things with having community conversations, working with New Hampshire Civics, New Hampshire Public Radio, doing some stuff with them with that. Um, is is this something that they said, hey, Laura, you know how to do this. Come over here and continue <laughs> doing these things only live. I mean, how, how did you uh, How did you get roped into this? Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you asked. I have so many fun, cool projects that I'm working on. So I left in June of last year, so almost a year ago. And, you know, pretty quickly people started calling and saying, hey, I have this community discussion. I need a panel moderator or I need a keynote speaker or I need a special interview for this special event. And so that's what I've been doing, um, AJ, since since I left pretty much. Um, I took the summer mostly off just to kind of go, <sighs> yes. But uh, in the fall, I started doing some of this stuff and then um, it really has picked up this spring. So um, one of my favorite projects is with it's a partnership between New Hampshire Civics and New Hampshire Public Radio, and it's called Building Civic Strength. And it kind of touches on some of these things we've talked about, AJ. I mean, we've got problems. Let's rebuild our civic life in this state so that we can talk to each other and you know resolve some of these community problems, whether it's, you know, you want to improve your downtown or you want to solve climate change, you know, whatever it is. Um, so we kicked that off in March and it's really cool. We've been in, let's see, Franklin, Ringe, where Franklin Pierce University is, um, Nashua, just got back from Rochester two days ago. We did Rochester and we have one more up in Berlin. So that's really cool. I'm also, I was also asked um, by St. Anselm College and a person I've worked off and on with there for a long time, to work on a project helping the, the city of Dover um, improve its mental health services, hmm. which are already really good, frankly. Dover is kind of a model among New Hampshire communities in terms of how they respond to people in mental health crisis. But the, the numbers are so high now, you know, more suicidal um, attempts, 
more people struggling with mental health crises, partly because the pandemic, you know, kids in schools. I mean, it's just so Dover's doing a great job, but hats off to them. They want to do even better. So um, I've been working on a three part conversation series with them about, you know, what they can do. So that's cool. And then I've been doing just a lot of author interviews. Um, and I don't I started calling it like hashtag read local NH. So um, I've done a couple author interviews sort of under that umbrella. And um, I've got some more coming up, actually. Have you heard of Cold River Radio, AJ? No, never have. So that's a radio show based up in the Mount Washington Valley. Um, and they have like five, six shows a year. They feature New England musicians mm -hmm. and um, really, really good bands. And they have an awesome house band. And then they usually have like a comedian and then they have an author interview. So coming up cool. in June, I'm going to do their author interview. And uh, if we can pull the fundraising together, I can do the author interviews for the whole series. But, you know, fundraising's uh, often a challenge, especially now because it's a live radio show. You know, so it's on the radio, but it's also like an old time, you know, on the stage radio show. And huh. audiences, as you know, have been, you know, some people have been reluctant to come out and because of COVID and so forth. So um, so doing a lot of author interviews or not a lot, but looking to do more of those. Um, there might be a project in the works. I can't make any announcements yet, but there might be a project in the works with um, Concord Community Television. Oh, great. You know, the local access, cable access station. Um, so we might have might have something in the works there too, but I can't say anything yet. That's great. I mean, what's it like been having uh, the conversations in person as opposed to through a phone line? I mean, do you, has that bit felt different for you? You mean um, the conversations like the, the community events we've been yep. doing? Oh, it's been great. Yeah, it's been great, especially since, well, let's see. So I started doing the show remotely like March 10th of 2020. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, you know, um, and, and I mean, you know, as a radio person, you know, oftentimes you have guests on the phone, but I'd say like 75% of the people I talked to were in person, physically in my studio. Wow. So March 2020 to June of 2021, that's a year and three months of all remote interviews. And so um, it's been really nice to get out in the community and, you know, see people and some events, you know, some events, masks are required. Some events, masks haven't been required, you know, whatever. I'll slap on a mask and go talk to people. That's fine. Like, it's all good. Um, so uh, that's been great. And it's just an energy that we get from people, you know, when we're in the same sort of space. Um, I don't know. We feed off of each other's chemistry. You know what I mean? So oh, yeah. it's been good. It's, it's, it's been it, good. There's a big difference between a live show that you just do in a studio versus going in person. It's a totally yep. different thing. Yep. Yep. It, it's been good. It, what's the, um, it, like, are you, like, do you want to keep doing these sorts of things going forward just for the foreseeable? Yeah. Yeah. It's been good. Um, you know, I just, the people I'm working with are just so dedicated and committed and really want to make New Hampshire a better place. And um, it's nice. It's also nice, you know, doing different things every day. Um, like I said, I have about, at any moment, I have four or five different projects that I'm working on. So it's kind of fun to like do something like serious, like this Dover mental health project. And then, you know, read a novel because I'm going to be interviewing the novelist in a couple of weeks, you know? So um, that's really fun. It's kind of like my old job, but um, a lot less pressure, a lot less pressure because it's not every day. 
and you know it's not live and that was great for 25 years but it is tiring it is tiring so um just a change of pace you know um it was I just didn't want to keep up that pace for another, um, you know, another five, 10 years. So I wanted to sort of work more at my own pace. So some days I work really long days, like 10 hours, 12 hours, but it's at my pace, you know, like yesterday I had a really long day. Um, I started super early in the morning. I had an event at night, but in the middle of the day, I went to Manchester to see my 90 year old dad. You know, I spent two, three hours playing cards with him and taking him around for a drive, you know, so I can do that stuff now. So it's good. It's good. Yeah, that's good. So we're, we're going to take one more break here. We're going to be continuing on for just a few more minutes here. Wrap up with what uh, some writing that you may be doing yourself. So we'll talk about that for sure. You're listening to the New England Take on WKXL. I'm your host, AJ said Conversation here with Laura Kanoy. If you're going to be uh, missing the last segment, definitely check out nhtalkradio.com. Say you're listening to the show on WKXL in the morning, Tuesdays in the 6 a.m. hour. Check out the podcast version. The full show will be there. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the New England Take and WKXL. Continuing my conversation here with Laura Kanoy. And you have been right, doing some writing yourself. What are some of the projects you've been working on with that? So I have finished my first novel. And um, in fact, I finished it last fall. Mm-hmm. Once you finish a novel and you're like, hey, I'm done. This is great. you know. And a friend of mine helped me edit it over the summer who has a master's in fiction writing oh, and all nice. that stuff. Yeah. So we were like, okay, this is great. But what you're supposed to do Um, And ultimately what I did do this winter is you're supposed to send it out to what's then called a team of early readers or beta readers, people from like who are not friends and family. Mm -mm. (laughs) Doesn't help always. (laughs) No, 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 no. So I I assembled a team of um, early readers, people from different walks of life, different ages, different experiences. Four out of the five have now gotten back to me. Uh, I'm still waiting to hear from one. And I've been incorporating their incorporating their comments. And honestly, you know, I mentioned earlier, I'm I after 25 years doing live radio, I don't have a lot of patience, but this is worth the patience because their comments are great. You know, they're like, I don't understand this scene. Why do you have this person doing this? Uh, This doesn't make sense to me. I love this character. Why do you get rid of him in chapter 10? Can you bring him through the whole book? You know, so it's like, oh, okay. So it's just what you want. It's like all of them are saying, this is an awesome story. It needs to be told. You're a good writer, but you need to fix this, 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 and this, which is exactly what you want. You know, you don't want people to say this is perfect because, you know, you know, that's not true. So, um, so you always have to bless that first draft and maybe your second draft too, because it leads you to that beautiful third or fourth draft. So I would say this is probably draft three, um, incorporating all their comments. And um, the, the book takes place in France. So I'm going back to France this summer to do a little bit more research. Um, and then I'm hoping to start shipping it out to agents, you know, literary agents and publishers this fall. So that's great. Can you give that, a hint to the genre or anything like that? Yeah, totally. It's it's historical fiction. Um, it is about a Jewish woman who was born in 1900 in Poland. So if you're bo- 1900 is like the worst year to be born, right? <laughs> born in 1900. Right. Because <laughs> think about it. You're a teenager in World War One and you're an adult in World War Two. So she as a teenage girl being Jewish in Poland 
she's her family's constantly on the run. You know, the battlefronts are changing and they're constantly going from town to town to town. Then after World War One, there was this exodus of young people, especially Jews and others out of Eastern Europe to France, to Germany, to other European, Western European countries. And so she emigrated to France and, um, you know, lives the immigrant dream for 20 years. It's great. And then we all know what happens in, you know, 1939, 1940. So then she's on the run again. Aha. But she uses the skills that she learned as a teenager in Poland to her extreme benefit um, in France during World War II. I don't want to give away the whole story. But the beautiful thing is um, two things. One is she had this gift of foresight, almost supernatural. Her kids were like, is our mom magic? So she always was one step ahead when other people were like, ah, oh, the Nazis, yeah, they make a lot of noise, but you know, they, they won't, they'll, they'll just be noisier in their own country. Or, okay, okay, they're taking Austria, but they're kind of German anyway. She was like, mm-mm, <laughs> these folks are bad news and we need to watch out. So, and you notice, AJ, I keep saying she had, the story is 80% true. Um, when I lived in France, um, a long time ago, I befriended a woman who was this woman's daughter. So my friend was a, what they call a hidden child during World War II. You know, Jewish children were hidden in convents, monasteries, farms, the back room of the bakery. I mean, wherever. So my friend was a hidden child. So she told me a little bit of this story many, many years ago, but it's only now that I've had the time to actually tell this story. Hmm. So 80% of this story is true. It's historical fiction, heavily, heavily, heavily based on a very true story that was shared with me by the family um, many years ago. Excited to see so. what becomes of that. You definitely let me know when it comes out. We'll promote it. Oh, yeah. Channels here. I'll get you oh, back yeah. on. Where can, if people want to get the latest from Laura Kanoi, where should they go? Oh, thank you for asking that too. Um, uh, LauraJadeKanoi.com. LauraJadeKanoi.com. And um, Kanoi is K-N-O-Y. Okay. I'm also on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. So uh, I'm everywhere but Twitter. I haven't done that yet. Avoid it. Just avoid really? it. Don't worry okay. about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, no, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Oh my gosh. What a treat. Thank you. I'll come back anytime, AJ. Awesome. Thank you so much. This is the New England Take in WKXL. Talk to you next week.